BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. How do I ask my boss for a raise? I'm so jealous of my coworker's promotion. I just don't know what to do. Is there a good way to brag about my accomplishments? Careers are complicated, and there are so many hush-hush topics we're told we can't talk about. That's why you have the Career Contessa podcast. I'm your host, Lauren McGoodwin, and each week I'm joined by experts to help you overcome your workplace woes with actionable advice that you can use today. Subscribe to the Career Contessa podcast and make progress in your career every Tuesday. I'm Caroline Stanbury, star of The Real Housewives of Dubai. I'm remarried and living my best life ever. See, there's so much life after divorce. I'm starting my new chapter unapologetically. I'm bringing real stories, real life, real talk on all things that aren't said between each other, society, the sheets, and everything in the middle. And lucky me, you'll be joining me on the journey. Listen to all new episodes every Wednesday. So buckle up. Welcome, Daniel Harold, to a, another episode of Divorce Not Dead. And I'm really excited to have you today because, frankly, I think I've had one other divorced father on the show. And it's going to be so interesting to have a perspective from the other side because I do believe that men get quite a bad rap in all this. And it's always about the woman and her feelings and everything else. And actually, it's just as hard getting divorced and, you know, the children moving out and all of this. And so I, you know, I really am excited to talk to you today. And I know that you have set up a group for over 40s divorced parents or men, is it? Yes. Divorced over 40. Yes. Men and women. Men and women. Perfect. So tell me your divorce story and what sort of prompted you to sort of set this up. It's probably like any other divorce story. You know, I lived in a, in a place culturally where there's like an expectation when you graduate from college, you get married, you have babies, you start working. And I dated my ex-wife, wife at the time, or soon to be wife, right out of high school, all through college. We got married the summer after we graduated from college. So I was like 22 and had my first baby at 24. Ridiculous, by the way. I have two sons and I, you know, I come from exactly where you come from, sorry, which is that's what society tells us to do. And now knowing that I would never let my children do that. You're far too young. Yeah, way too young. I mean, I had three kids before the age of 30. So, I mean, you think about your life. I mean, I haven't, I, I had no opportunity to even discover myself. All of a sudden I've got, I got to put food on the table. And so I'm like building this career, raising kids. And, you know, we had a 26 year relationship married for 22 years. 
And, you know, there wasn't anything that significantly like created the, the rift. It was just like a slow fade. Like a lot of people have, where felt like I was like two ships passing through the night, you know, too busy dealing with kids and career. And we just never focused on each other. And about three years ago, my ex sat me down out at the pool and said, we're both miserable. You know, I'm, I'm not enjoying it. You're not enjoying it. You know, our kids were in high school at the time, two of ours. So we had still two at home. And I agreed to move out. I moved out about a couple of weeks later. And I mean, literally, Caroline, that first night, it was like this huge albatross was off my shoulder. I felt free. You know, my, my home was just so toxic because we were just so miserable. And we soon knew after about probably three or four weeks of me moving out that this was the path that we needed to take. And we just, we probably had the fastest divorce <laughs> of anybody that I know. I mean, it was a 90 day process. We both sat down. We both said, look, we're going to do this the right way. We sat down, we negotiated everything over the dinner table in a matter of an hour and a half. And we were done. Our attorney got it done. I mean, you know, your story is very similar to mine. I was you know, married 18 years. And I think, you know, what is amazing about what you're saying is exactly how I felt. There wasn't this big catalyst that sort of blew up and it was like over because someone cheated or this big bomb had been dropped and, you know, someone did something terrible, which is what everybody else looks for. What do you mean there's nothing yeah. wrong? But there's enough wrong when you're just not happy because, you know, now my ex-husband is dating and obviously I got married and I'm having a blast. Yet somehow raising the children in that that environment, because maybe my new husband isn't their father, we have so much fun as a couple and I have my responsibilities. Obviously, I still have to put the food on the table with him, but we're, we're a couple. And maybe, you know, that's what's so different because I used to look at second marriages and go, oh, I wonder, you know, they look so in love because you've really chosen that person. You've taken time and you sort of have hindsight of what you, you do want this time around, I suppose. And I also, yeah. sorry, I had a divorce just like you where we did everything round a table with one lawyer in two minutes because the pot is the pot is the pot. What's the point of fighting? Right. Why do you need to go through all of that anguish and fight over who gets the silverware? I mean, literally when I moved out, all I took were my clothes. That was it. I left all the furniture. I left all the possessions. I took my car and my clothes. I bought everything for my apartment secondhand. And I didn't want any of that stuff. You really learn as you go through a divorce, like the material aspect, the material things, to me at least, they didn't have any meaning. I wanted happiness. I didn't want the things. And so I was willing to give all that up just to pursue happiness. A thousand percent, but also you're le it's not like, you know, what are you going to do? A dash and grab. You're taking them from your children. You know, your children are eating on those plates and the silverware. At the end of the day, what are you going to, you know, you're leaving a home for your family and you'll start, you've made the, the grown up decision that it's not working for whatever reason. You don't need to make this a sort of catastrophic thing all around. So by right. doing it this way, the kids aren't as, as sort of, what do you say? Interrupted in a way, you know, because they get, they, they get to keep their home. And my, my ex-husband did the same thing. He left, you know, and we did have an up and down, whether who, who was going to walk out or who was, which one of us was going to leave the family house. But it always, it normally is the man in these situations, rightly or wrongly. 
but he also left the house as is because what it, you know you can't disrupt the children any more than they are. What do you you don't want to move their bedrooms, the things they know, you know that is the thing they know, the home, the way it is. Yeah, one of the things that I think we did pretty that I think looking back we did really smart was, you know, both of my girls. I had one that was in college, and I had two that were in high school. They were driving. And I was like, do we really want them to bounce back and forth and have two bedrooms? And I was like, I don't want them to have to go through that. And so, I mean, our co-parenting was just a function of what nights they came over for dinner, but they always went back home to their bedroom. We just wanted to keep something constant, especially for teenagers, teenage girls. You don't want to you know, mix that up and create like this tug of war. And so I think looking back for them to just like have this safe place, which was their bedroom, and not having to bounce back and forth was pretty smart on our behalf. That's a really, really hard place to be, actually, because we went through that a lot. We discussed the family house would stay. We'd have one apartment. Then, you know, he would stay in the family house a week. Then it, when it was my week, I would stay in the family house. And, you know, we'd both go back to the apartment because we can't have three houses, obviously. And I was like, you know, that doesn't work. How's that going right. to work? Because then you'd never have really your own home. It's so complicated. So that's a really grown up thing to do and very hard to do because one of you really, I don't think my ex-husband could go without having them sleep over, but your children are a little older than mine, I suppose. Yeah. And I just felt like, I was like, look, if they need me, I mean, you know, kids, when they're teenagers, you hardly see them at all. Like my ex-wife would say, you know, there'd be times that they would like bail on me on my Tuesday night dinner and I get kind of sad and I would text my ex you know, just for a little bit of sympathy. And she's like, Daniel, I hardly see them. We don't have dinners together. They're like, go, they've got their own little lives running around with their friends. And I was like, yeah, that's true. And I was like, if they need me, they're, they'll want to spend some time with me. So I felt like it was just a healthy way of dealing with teenage girls. Yeah, I think it it depends on the age. Mine, mine are, as I said, were 12. Uh, well, I guess it's they were sort of 10, nine or 10, my boys. So they they were sort of a lot more needy and we had a lot more problems sort of blending the families and going into right. new ho homes than you're experiencing. I think teenage girls, you're absolutely right. They disappear for a week. There's no, you know, and they don't want to, all parents are uncool, so it doesn't matter. But I think the really important part of this is more than anything, what you did after 26 years was not fight about the money, what's left, because there's your college fund. There's the fund that is going to the children. There is, you know, you still have to have a life, obviously, and have an apartment because the bills go up. You're going to have to double everything. And that's a big, big thing. So what is the point? If you've lived with each other that long, you know exactly where you are financially, I presume. So there is just no point fighting over things that you can't change. I mean, money's replaceable. And so why fight over it? And you know, I just had this philosophy going in that my success in my career was partly because of my ex-wife raising the kids and, and being home and taking care of the family. Why would she be entitled to half of that? that? That was never a question for me. It was never a question of what's the least amount of, of money that I can give my ex-wife. I felt like half was equitable. And for a long time, you know, that's paid back and so much dividends over fighting over a nickel because my kids recognize it and my in-laws, my ex-in-laws recognize it. And my ex-wife, even three years later, says, thank you so much for providing for me. 
And so that in itself is so much more rewarding than, you know, taking home a couple extra thousand dollars, you know, per month or whatever it would, would be just to try to, to win. A hundred percent. So what is it? So I, I, you've now started a dating club. Well, we, I started this community called Divorced Over 40, which is not a dating club. And this led to the dating. And the community was built because, you know, I dove, I did all the wrong things in my post-divorce. I dove into dating way too early. I had a lot of fun in dating, you know, and COVID hits and I, you know, I can't date anymore because nobody's dating. And I'm sitting back here. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I don't have any friendships. I, I haven't invested in anybody. And guys are kind of like that. You know, I think women have this tribe and a lot of the tribe carries with them. Even after a divorce with guys, it's hard to even have friends to begin with. And then the divorce, you know, then you lose them all. And I made this conscious decision the summer of COVID to really focus on cultivating friendships. And that led to this organization called Divorce Over 40, which was really meant to provide support for people that need friendships. I think you're relearning. You have been out of the yeah. dating scene since you were in your 20s. So it's changed quite a lot since then. Yeah, my friendships as a single guy was, yeah, at 18 to 22, you know, high school. And so, yeah, I lost all of that. And how to talk to women even, because I suppose you, when you're married, you don't, you don't do that. So I think, you know, I actually don't think you handled your post-divorce that badly. I do think it's important to go and have sow your wild oats and do the things that you really didn't get a chance out of school to do because you went straight to school and got married to your, you know, really your first love. So right. I actually don't think that was a mistake because whatever happens in COVID and all of this that came, at least you'll have seen what's out there a bit and you'll have seen what you do and don't want in, you know, the new age woman that's out there because it's very, very different. As with men and women today, dating is so oh, totally. different. I keep telling people it's, you know, going back into dating after being in a marriage or relationship for 10, 15, 20 years, it's not like getting back on a bike and be able to ride the bike because it's a whole new ball game. And you've got the, you know, the dating apps and you've got all these, you know, part of the reason why there's so much toxicity in dating in your, as a 40, 50 or 60 year old is because there's so many people that haven't healed from their divorce but dive into dating way too early and they haven't healed. And so they're bringing all that toxicity into these new relationships. So for me, it was like a kid in a candy store. I mean, I loved it. I had a lot of fun and I learned how to navigate it in a way that was healthy. And then that just transpired into creating this dating club where it's like, hey, I can kind of share my wisdom of the things that I did right and the things that I didn't do right in order to create, hopefully pass it on to people that are kind of jumping into dating after a long relationship. What was your wife, ex-wife doing like when you were doing all this? I think a lot of women, I don't want to generalize, but my sense is a lot of women, when they, when they get divorced, a lot of them have a tendency to want to wait before they start dating because they want to heal or they want to see the, let the dust settle. And Man, I jumped in it. I jumped in it when we were separated. I mean, it was just way too early. And I, it was because I was lonely. I mean, I was just yearning for connection. Here I am in this apartment, all, you know, all by myself, watching Netflix, and I'm lonely. And, you know, your, your net worth, your self-worth is so little when you come out of divorce, regardless of whether the divorce went well or went bad. You just feel so small. And so to be able to get validation for people to say, Hey, you're hot. You're good looking, or you you yearn for that. And so she found out that I was dating 
because my town where I live is a small town. And, and it was really hurtful to her, particularly as we were navigating through the divorce. And that's if one thing in hindsight, if I would have gone back would be, I should have waited until everything was final and settled. Even though I tried to keep it very discreet, still got out, it got to my kids. It was just a real painful moment with all of my family by making that choice of dating way too early. But she she jumped into the dating pool shortly thereafter. I don't I don't know the details of how quickly, but she was dating pretty quickly. I mean, I kind of feel a little bit differently though as well, because I'm like, by the time you've left somebody or you have that conversation, if nothing's actually gone wrong in the marriage, and so you, you're waiting to have the balls to literally go up and say, look, this just isn't working, which is that takes serious balls after 20 something years to go and look that person in the eye going, there's nothing wrong per se. I just don't love you anymore. That normally you're already lonely and you've already left in your head quite a long time ago. You know, as you said, rightly, you were ships in the night. So I can identify with that. But at the same time, you know, so in your head, you've kind of left. So it's not like such a shock to go and date straight away, you know, because you've already gone. You've already gone through the grieving process. Well, I had. I did the same. I dated my now husband when I was separated. I'd already gone through the grieving. In my head, it was just done. So I didn't feel like what was waiting going to do. I know other girlfriends that have really waited. So everything's settled and the dust settles and, you know, the eyes are dotted and all of this kind of stuff. But actually the same reaction happens anyway with the children because it's always hard. And actually it's just, you know, my, I feel like you and I ripped the bandaid off. (laughs) You know, I don't disagree with you. I think that there's so much thing, so much that's going on in the middle of a divorce and there's a lot of chaos, right? Every day is different. You're in an emotional roller coaster. And often at times you kind of spill that into your dating if you choose to date. And, you know, that's where it's maybe unfair to the other party, particularly if they're, you know, they're well past their divorce. Although they kind of know what they're getting into if they're dating someone that's going through a separation. I jumped into like these long-term commit relationships way too early. And then I kind of figured out after kind of two crash and burns, okay, I really love dating. It's an exploratory process for me, but I don't want a relationship right now. I just want to date. And so once I started becoming more forthcoming and direct with what I was looking for, then it was a game changer for my dating. And so that's how your dating sort of club came about. Tell me about it, because I actually think it's great because I'm sick. Well, not that I ever use them, to be honest, but I have single sisters, sister and like my my sister-in-law was single and they told me I never got there because I got married again. But I looked at them and for me, it was like watching, you know, playing snap. There's no feeling. There's no nothing. It's just it's all based on looks. It's all based on sex, really. So how does your club differ? I like the fact that it's for over 40. So I presume it's for real people. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's called the intentional dating club because what I'm looking for, what I hope to do is provide a community for people that are really looking for their plus one. And what I found in the dating space is there's no community and people want community and they don't really want to talk to their family I remember my mom asking me about dating. I was like, oh my God, if she has to ask me, she wants to set me up with someone from church, <laughs> you know, or you don't, and, you know, a lot of times you don't want to talk to your friends about dating, you know, because they often give you a lot of bad advice. 
And so I wanted to create like this safe place where daters could, could jump in and they could talk about what they're going through. And then what I can do is I come in there and I kind of impart the wisdom that I learned of how to navigate it safely, how to use a dating app as a tool, but not the be all end all tool to find your plus one. There's plenty of other ways that you can organically meet people. You just got to put yourself out there. And a lot of people get so closed minded because they think, well, everybody's on the dating apps and that's the only path that I'm going to find someone. And I'm like, no, that's one of many different avenues. And I'm going to tell you how to navigate that safely and minimize your time there where you're not wasting a bunch of time, but also go fish in some other ponds too. There's plenty of fish in other places. And so that's kind of how the club was kind of fostered. And it's so fun because I'm seeing a lot of women and some men get into relationships now. They're doing it in a healthy way. They're being direct. They're being upfront as far as what they want. They're protecting their time, which is a huge, everybody wastes time in dating. And it's fun to see kind of the results of what's coming out of the club. So how do you make sure that these people are vetted and that you're okay, you know, you're introducing people to the right kind of people? I love the idea that, you know, also that it opens your horizons because I do feel that, you know, if you live in a small town, how the hell are you going to meet someone in another city? And I always say, we're not trees, we can move. The right person comes along. Don't set parameters for yourself. With COVID, it's even harder because people's attitudes have changed. You know, I remember going, you used to go to, cool restaurants. And then you could just wander over to another table, send a drink to another table of a girl that you liked. If you do that now, people are like, get away from me. So, right. you know, it just doesn't they have really the sanitize same. the cup. Yes. They don't have the same warmth, I think, you know, because you've got those screens between, and they're, they're slowly going, but you know, people are still scared. So you don't yeah. have that sort of ease in bars and restaurants that you did to wa- walk over to people like before. You know, I originally, the club, the purpose of the club was to create a safe place for people to talk and share and then for them to learn. And I never envisioned that it would be a club in which you can actually meet someone romantically. That wasn't really even my intention, but it's like, as I started to dive in and we started to get these people that kept joining, I was like, oh my gosh, it's like the light bulb went off. And I was like, okay, all these people are serious. So they're aligned the right way. They're looking for someone serious. Why can't this be a place where they can get to know each other in an organic way and ultimately cultivate a relationship? So it hasn't happened yet, but I think as it grows, you know, when my vision is for it to grow to five, 10,000 people. And then certainly, you know, if people are willing to pay for a club and invest in themselves, then they're serious. And they know everybody else is serious in this pool. And I think it will lead to some romantic relationships. But right now it's more, hey, we want to educate you and make you feel like you're not just the only one in the boat. Everybody's in the boat. And number two is because you haven't dated in 10, 15, 20 years, let me give you some tips on how to protect your time and how to protect your mental space as you date. I think that's really important, the mental space as well and protecting your time because, 
you know, from what I've heard from my sister who was on sort of like Tinder and all of these other ones that, you know, these guys are setting up dates with two or three people in a night. There's no dinner anymore because that's a waste of the money. So they have an easy out very quickly. They're just going to meet for a drink and then they've got the next one lined up. So actually, even if you like the first one, you can't really remember the first one by the time you get to the third one. So it's just a numbers game. And I think, you know, people have lost the old fashioned values. And actually, I was really keen to do something like this because I really do believe that we should go back to old fashioned values of meeting people and not do it just by screen. Because no matter how unmaterialistic we say we are, obviously, when you're swiping, it's all about the way the person looks straight away, you know, rather than are you compatible? I also like the fact yours is for over 40s, because I think, you know, Younger men don't mind having a 40-year-old woman, but men in their 40s generally don't want 40-year-old women anymore. They want younger women. So I, I think, you know, finding those type of guys as well and doing a club specifically for people that are serious, that want to meet serious women or their own age group. But the, here I am, I'm, you know, I married a guy that's 20 years younger than me. So who am I to talk? <laughs> Um, and I'm dating someone 10 years younger than me. Oh, so I, I, I get that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that also may come from our marriages because we had such long, serious marriages where you did the right thing for so long that having someone that's younger without the responsibilities just means that it's just so fun because we've already got responsibilities. We've already got the bills. We've already got everything that we have right. to do this we can enjoy. Like I travel the world with my husband. We have so much fun. We laugh, we giggle. He doesn't see my children as a, you know, ball and chain. He actually wants to play soccer and do these things with him. And then probably your girlfriend does the same. I think what a lot of people miss when they get divorced, a lot of people bounce into the next relationship really quickly. And they miss this opportune time in between where you have total autonomy You are the sole decision maker in anything that you want to do outside of your kids, right? And there's this self-discovery process that you can go through to figure out, what do I want to do in the next chapter of my life? And like yourself and like myself, my kids are gone. They're off to college. I can work from anywhere. I'm free. And so how I visualize my next chapter was completely different from how I visualize my next chapter as a married man. And so for me, it was just aligning myself with someone that shared the same passion. I'm just like you. I mean, we're going to Croatia. We're going to Morocco later this year. We're traveling the world. We're doing all of these different things that I would have never thought of doing as a, as a married man raising kids. But now I'm like a completely different man. And so it's more about alignment to me. You know? It's so crazy to me as well, because there's no reason we couldn't have done it. It's just that you get so overwhelmed. There's always a reason when you're married not to do it. You know, we're so busy. We don't think about it. We don't, we don't dream. That's the problem. We get so busy raising kids and, you know, paying our bills. I mean, I moved into this apartment that was like 800 square feet, Carolyn, and I had no bills. I, it's freeing not to have all this burden of things that I have to pay for. And so I think you just get so busy and you get so caught up in the rat race that you just don't dream anymore as a, as a couple. And that's something that I don't ever want to do again. I just about to say, I don't want to do that again either. And I think I, the one thing, the only argument I really have with my now husband is sometimes because he's young, he'll sometimes try and tell me what he'd like me to do. And I'm like, uh-uh, I don't 
ever ask you where you're going, what you're doing, not that he ever goes anywhere without me, but what you're doing, who you want to see, what you want to do, because the most expensive thing for me is freedom. And, yeah. you know, I, I it took me a long time to get here. So I will, if the moment you would like to leave, you may leave. The moment you want to do this, you must do it. I will never tell you no. Wrong wife. And I want you, however hard it is for you, to, to be the same for me. And maybe, you know, I probably won't want to do it. I'm getting, I'm 46 now. I'm, there's going to be a time where I'm going to settle down and not be as crazy. But I want to be able to know that in my own life, if I want to do something, I'll do it. That's it. That's the autonomy that, I mean, you captured it. And I think a lot of people miss that. I think a lot of people, they get into either feeling lonely or they think that, oh my gosh, the clock's ticking before I jump into the next relationship. I'm going to look like this. You know, there, there seems to be this stigma that if you're not in a relationship after your divorce, after two years, then something's wrong with you. When in fact, it should be the complete opposite. How can you be lonely? You know, like you see, that's it's just such a mindset. You just said you've got a gorgeous apartment. You have no bills. You can lie in bed. And I mean, the first night that I was on my own and the kids, I thought I was going to be miserable because the kids are gone. I lay in bed, ch- flick the channel, watch whatever I want. I was like, this is fucking amazing. I took all my clothes off and walked around. Yes. The apartment completely when was naked. the last time you did that? <laughs> And now I do it all the time. Well, I have a housekeeper that lives here. I think she'd have a heart attack, but I've done it. I have done it. And, you know, I think the first, last time I walked around my house naked, I was, it was before my twins were born. And, you know, I think that these kind of things you just forget and it's so important to do. And, and exactly that. And so people have to stop thinking about being lonely because how can you be lonely? You've got two, you've got your children. Your children are going to come and visit you. So actually you've just got the bonus of being you. The bonus of walking around your apartment naked and watching whatever you want, you just have to look right. at it differently. It's literally in your mind. It's a switch. It is. And, you know, the reason why we created Divorced Over 40 was we can create an alternative for you. Instead of jumping into the next relationship, go cultivate new friendships. Because if your kids aren't feeding you enough and you're, you don't like being by yourself and you just can't deal with the loneliness, then at least go hang out with friends. But don't jump into the next relationship too prematurely or too early, especially before you figure out what you want in your next chapter of life. Well, you write a lot about loneliness. So, I mean, I just want to talk about that. like Because, you know, but I find that very interesting because you've just said you've dated a lot. How were you lonely? Just in your, it's in your head. It's totally in your head. Yeah, because I, you're right. I have my kids, I have my family, and I had some friends. But, you know, when you're sitting there, I can remember sitting there in the apartment, you fix yourself your own dinner, your kids aren't there night after night, you're tired of watching the next Netflix series, you're yearning for human connection. And because I didn't have any friendships, nor did I intend on cultivating any, I jumped into dating. That was my fix in order to kind of fill that void. Well, I think dating actually makes you lonelier because you don't really like the person. So to be honest, you're doing, you're you're having the sex, you're going through the motions and you want them gone. That's what I know from all my male friends. So it's not like that's the fix for loneliness. I think it makes you feel worse, not better. 100%. The only way to overcome your loneliness is to switch it. And that may take healing. And that may just take 
push them through it. And maybe it takes going and, and finding some new hobbies, going and exercising, trying something different. You know, there's lots of things that you can do to kind of keep your mind busy or do, do fun things, but don't always rely on the human connection as a means of filling the loneliness gap, because I think that's, that's short-lived. It's like I always say, you can't fight, you know, someone else can't bring you your happiness. You have to find happiness within. And I think it's the same with the loneliness. It's a positive attitude, positive mind, positive life. Daniel, this has been amazing. I've really enjoyed it because as I said, you're one of my, I think, as I said, very, very little male guests from a male perspective as a divorced father. And I think it's so interesting because it's, it's the same man or woman. It really is. We all go through the same. I think it's painful. Whoever starts dating first, moving on is always difficult, but you seem to have really crushed the game by coming out of this on top with your wife as your friend, your family, and showing people that getting divorced doesn't need to be this, this fight. And it, it, sh- it can be something actually where you can coexist and have an amazing life as a family still and have your, you know, I call it having your cake and eating it, really, if you do it right. Totally. And I wish that more men would. Well, I love what you're doing because I think that there's such a negative stigma on divorce. I love that you're putting a positive spin and saying, look, life can be epic after you get divorced. And I'm a big believer of that. And I think more men do need to come out and talk about what they've gone through, but how they've come out on the, on the other side. And so I'm happy to be here. I'm honored to be here. I actually also just want to leave it with, because a lot of men lose sight or, or try to hold on to financials. And, you know, I had the same sort of divorce as you did with my ex, because I was with him forever. So, you know, he, he didn't fight me for the money really. And that means because it's so short-sighted. It's just a minute. Where at the end of the day, for the rest of our lives, we're going to be a family. We just are, like it or not. And so there is just no point screwing the other person into the ground. You shared a life. You've got your kids. Money comes, money goes. Money's replaceable. If you don't believe in that mindset, then you're going to have a miserable divorce. I'm a big believer in taking the high road. I'm a big believer in being equitable and fair. And I think people that are playing that tug of war to try to get the last penny or to win is so short-sighted. And all it's going to do is it's going to prolong the emotions that you're going to feel, the guilt, the sadness, the anger, just prolongs those emotions. Why not do the right thing and come out happy and glad that you, you did the right thing? You look at it in a completely different perspective again, and you come out with everybody winning. Because at the end of the day, if you're prepared to spend that much money on a lawyer, why aren't you prepared to spend that much money on your kids or your wife? So, you know, I completely agree. So thank you so much. This has been fascinating. I'm going to get you back on one day because I I love this and I want to hear more about your dating journey. But thank you again for coming on tonight. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Divorce Not Dead. Tune in next Wednesday for a new episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear from you. Follow me on social media at, at Caroline Stanbury for all the behind-the-scene action. 